Welcome to Faith Fondue, a new podcast featuring me, author and speaker Haley DiMaria, and teacher and blogger Ann Strickers. Faith Fondue will feature a melting pot of topics, ignited by a flame, our faith, and guided by the Holy Spirit. Each week will feature a theme, and the theme for this week's episode is Lent, Week 1 Traditions. Anne, good morning. Welcome to our first week of Lent. Morning, Haley. This is the week of February 21st, and I'm looking forward to talking about traditions. But um, before we get to that, maybe in terms of the flame and what's hot, um, I have exciting news. I got the vaccine yesterday, and I know you thank you. And I know you got yours in February, so you, you know what it's like to be in this place where you're like, I, relief, right? Um, gratitude, something we've all been waiting for. And for our listeners who haven't had it yet, you will get there, right? And um, it's just a huge relief. And I, I was really struck. Um, I thought it was an emotional experience as well. I don't know if you felt that way. Oh, when- yes, absolutely. In fact, it was kind of a surreal experience when I walked in. Um, you know, I got mine at the hospital. I know your your location was a little different, but I walked in and it was it was this thing, this event that we had talked about and hoped about. And, you know, for 10 months at that point, it was like, well, the vaccine, the vaccine, the vaccine. And, you know, here we were getting the vaccine. Um, But, you know, it also seemed a little sci-fi-ish too. Um, You know, everybody's masked up. I was in this very sterile white room. And um, so, yeah, it's, it. but it is an emotional experience. at least it was for me too. And I saw a, a fellow colleague, another teacher um, who happened to be there at the same time. And she was, you know, pumping her arms and cheering. And, you know, if we could have given hugs, we would have. It was, it's, yeah. <laughs> I, I think, especially for people who are in schools and with children and out and about, um, you know, healthcare workers, whoever, who have to, you know, be around other people, it's, it is a relief, um, but it's a, it's a celebration. So uh, yeah. I was excited that you were able to get it. Yeah. Well, it's funny because the site I went to was the Oakland Coliseum and the Oakland Coliseum is where the Golden State Warriors play, you know, Oakland Athletics, um, obviously, um, the, well, the Warriors have moved to San Francisco and the baseball hasn't started yet. The Raiders are gone. Um, I've been there for several concerts. So this venue is um, organized. It's a FEMA site. So it's run by the, the supply is from the federal government. So it's open to anyone in the Bay Area. If you can get there, if you can get there driving or via BART, it is open um, and there's a certain criteria. So yes, I'm a teacher, so I qualified. Um, But some people had real questions about, you know, me even getting it there. And so um, before I kind of speak to that, when I drove in, I, when I talk about emotional, I just realized I was part of a historical moment. Like this is something that people will be referencing in years to come and you know that's just an overwhelming feeling for anyone when you realize you're a part of something that's so we're we're all in this together right yeah but you know it's also um you know it's amazing that you recognize that you know so often we might get caught up in a moment and then in hindsight look back and think wow that was a monumental event but yeah you're right um to recognize and and honor it for what it is is pretty cool yeah well thanks and um yeah i felt gratitude relief because i we went i went back into the classroom this past week 
Um, we have obviously in California been much later. So uh, there was a lot of excitement about students coming back to class and um, not all teachers have gotten the vaccine yet. So based on where you live and the county you live in there, for example, Santa Clara County is the 28th, but there has been, I've noticed, you know, um, is the word judgment or, you know, questioning about the vaccine and, it's one friend actually told me Haley not to tell people I was getting the vaccine and she said you will be judged and she's gotten snide remarks snarky comments about getting it she's in law enforcement so she got that and I thought that is really unfortunate that some people don't can't share in that moment of just like this is good for all of us as a public health measure and you know as long as I get mine, you know, that's kind of the attitude. Well, then I can be happy for you. I I was discouraged by that. And I don't want to focus in on that because I don't think that's the majority of people. Most people were relieved. They know that I'm a, a teacher, that I'm a coach. I work with young people. So there wasn't a lot of questioning, but it just points to part of our humanity where even in our, even in myself, you, you kind of do wonder um, when we, when we strike those judgments, um, it's not a good place. We hope for people to stay healthy and be better, but I want to acknowledge that it's part of this experience as well. Yeah, and it, and we always we always say not judging is so hard, um, but it's really important because we never understand the full scope of what somebody's going through. I mean, you could be in line and see, you know, a younger person getting the vaccine, and somebody might look and wonder why they're able to get it. Um, you know, when we should be focusing on you know the elderly or the more high at risk. Um, but we never really know um, what someone is going through. You always go back to, you know, Atticus Finch in To Kill a Mockingbird. You know, you never yes. really understand someone until you've walked in their shoes. And and I don't appreciate the judgment either. Um, this is, you know, we're, we're really facing a shift here in, in this pandemic where, um, you know, for so long, for so many months, it's been about the collective good and keeping other people safe. And... Uh, you know, with this vaccine, we're going to put the onus back on the, the high risk people who possibly can't get the vaccine. Um, and I worry we're going to go back to this very selfish world that we were in before where, you know, if I'm vaccinated, you know, then I'm good. Um, but it still doesn't work that way. We still have to to think of the greater good. So it's, you know, you, you would hope in many ways this pandemic would bring people together. I think it's been way more divisive than, than yeah. it needed yeah. to be and way more divisive than, than actually bringing people together. I think some pockets have banded, um, you know, certainly families and friends in ways. But ultimately, I hope we learn some, some non-judgmental lessons um, when it comes to, to just life in general. But hopefully we'll learn that from this. Yeah, I agree. And I would just, you know, advise people to encourage one another, exhort one another. It is easy to focus in, you know, even on this, like, I don't want to focus on the negative. I want to recognize it. But, um, you know, we have to, if we really are people of hope, we have to go there. And, you know, Shawshank Redemption is one of my favorite movies, but, you know, Red, one of the main characters says, hope is a good thing. Uh, he said, hope is a dangerous thing, but it's a, a but it's a good thing and no good thing ever dies. And I can see kind of in this moment, like we have hope and I can see that there can be some danger in it. Like 
we are hopeful. We have to be hopeful in order to move forward. Sure, there's a chance that you know people people will continue to get sick. People won't get vaccinated. There will be cracks in the system where there's you know an injustice to who gets it and when. But bottom line, you know the numbers are falling. We are moving towards right a healthier country and community. And I really appreciate what you said there about like you know we're divided, but we I, I want I think that's true. But I hope. I hope we choose not to be. And um, that's up to us, I think. It is. And that's, and that is, you know, that's the great gift that we have is, is free will and choice. Um, so hopefully we'll all make those choices in a positive way. Yeah. So I'll flex my, my, I went dominant arm because I sleep on my left side and a friend um, as a golfer too, I use my uh, arm that I'll use that arm today and get the, the blood pumping. And I want to thank my, um, the workers that were there. I talked to the, uh, both the firemen. It was a Cal fireman that was kind of assisting the nurse and, uh, she was there from eight to seven yesterday. So I want to thank them and pray for them for their hard work. And, uh, wow, those California fire, Cal fire, they have had a lot of work between, you know, wildfires, flooding, and now vaccines. So we're grateful. And he thanked me for the work I do. And I thought, Geez, no, thank you. So, yeah, well, and that's that's where we should go, right? Is that place of gratitude and not judgment, because um, it is remarkable to see the infrastructure that's in place, and it's not perfect everywhere. Um, nothing is, but the infrastructure to roll out this vaccine is extraordinary, um, and people really do are doing extraordinary work um, and working long hours above and beyond to to keep everybody else safe. Um, it's really neat to see. Yeah. But quick question before we move, Haley. Um, I didn't know this. So you're not supposed to take a photograph of yourself while you're getting the vaccine. So go. So we were asked to not take photographs in um, of of the location. Um, so I think what they don't want is taking pictures that could show other people. Um, so it just so happened when I got my okay. my second dose. Um, you know, in this huge room with individual tables, they happened to sit me down right next to a colleague that I work with every day. And um, so we thought that was great that of all the people there. So we did take a selfie of the two of us, you know, okay. six feet apart with our masks on. Um, but um, at a different location, when I pulled in, they, the one thing they said was, please no photographs. So I think what they don't I want is pictures of the site in case there are people who you know, haven't agreed to have their picture taken. I understand. That makes yeah. sense. I'd already taken a picture, but um, I yeah. stopped after that. Because <laughs> it's fascinating. It's really amazing to see. Um, it is. It is. You know, and, uh, the yeah. government at work, because sometimes we wonder how they're working, and, yeah. and they are. Yeah. Um, well, you know, it's it's funny where, you know, because now we live in a time where people take photographs at any time, any place. And I, it just sparked a memory when I was in Israel. And, um, you know, we actually went over to Palestine. We went to Bethlehem. And people were taking selfies. Like they have this place that's designated as the place where Jesus was born, right? And I, I don't, I don't, I don't think I have myself as a skeptical person, but I was like, really, this is the site. Like we know that this is the place, and people are taking the selfie like of themselves. And I thought, I don't, I don't. I raised the question, like, is this the time or place? I mean, they wanted to remember it, so I understand. But I was also like, can't we just let this be holy and sacred and I don't know that that applies to getting a vaccine, but I would certainly be respectful of any, you know, I, I would, I wanted, I didn't, I wanted to have a picture of it, but I also thought, I don't know. I'll just let, just enjoy the moment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You got it. Yes. So, yeah. 
All right. So this week was also it was exciting um, for you, of course, to get the vaccine. It was also um, this past week, last week, Ash Wednesday. Um, I was not able to go to mass in person, um, but I did attend our little virtual parish online um, and had, took Father Tom, the priest that we attend mass with, took his advice about um, how to create ashes at home and yours as well. Um, so one of the th Father Tom had asked us to write down everything that was most meaningful to us. You had mentioned something along the lines of let's put down our sins, let's put down our vices, let's burn those up and offer them up. I did both. Um, I put my little tray of ashes in front of my computer screen so that Father Tom could bless them and then um, was was really happy to have ashes to wear out that day, you know, running errands, going to work. Um, there was, I had one other colleague who also had ashes on her forehead and, you know, I work at an Episcopal school, so um, it's not, they do give ashes in the Episcopal church as well, but um, perhaps not as, um, as faithful as the Catholics do. Um, but I, I loved having them and I, I, I didn't love that about myself. I didn't love kind of that pride. I hate to use that word of, you know, being able to have received ashes and to share that faith with everyone, my faith with everyone that day. And, you know, of course, I just heard that reading that we talked about that, of course, I love, which is, you know, not letting my right hand know what my left hand was doing and not being um, outward and vocal and boastful about, you know, praying or almsgiving or whatever we're asked not to do. But here I was with these ashes ready to go out into the world and showcase them. Um, so I barely made it two hours um, into Lent without <laughs> letting my left hand know what my right hand was doing. I love um, that you caught yourself. Yeah. <laughs> But it was, a, it was a neat day, you know, again, not being raised Catholic, um, we didn't really ever receive ashes growing up. Um, that wasn't really part of Lent for me, but I did have my grandfather, my mom's father was Catholic and his faith was very important to him. Um, and he would talk about it and lived it, it, you know, was a daily, you know, communicant. He went to mass every day. Um, he, they, he and my grandmother used to live with us for six months of the year. So, um, oh. talked a lot about, um, his faith and I was very aware of it. Um, so it, it's interesting as I look back on, you know, my childhood and the way I was raised and what Lent meant to us, you know, as non-Catholics, we still gave something up. Um, it was, you know, something like Slurpees or chocolate or, you know, it was really just giving it up, but we never talked about why we did that. It was just, we gave oh. something up. So there wasn't a lot of, you know, theological meaning behind it, or um, there wasn't necessarily a real connection to why we do this as part of our faith. Um, but we did. And, you know, we didn't eat meat on Fridays because my grandfather would be there and he wasn't eating meat on Fridays. Mm. Um, but we also, um, you know, for us, we wouldn't, eat, I, and I can't remember if we would do not eat meat on Lash, Ash Wednesday. I don't know if I knew if that was part of our tradition. Um, mm. My mom always made lentil soup. Um, which, you know, again, I thought was just what everybody did during Lent. I don't think there is any religious or theological connection <laughs> between Lent and lentils. Um, but again, that was just something we did. Um, uh, but I do think it's a simple meal. It's an easy, um, you know, type of food to make, create for, sure. um, you know, the simple meals that we're asked to eat. Of course, there's no meat in it, although you can add meat. Um, so I did make my lentils this week. Um you know, kind of a, a paying homage to, to my childhood and those Lenten traditions that we had, but really kind of an interesting um, reflection for me to think about, you know, what are my Lenten traditions? How was I raised, you know, not being raised Catholic? What does that mean, 
what did that mean to me? Um, and what I saw were a lot of these Catholic influences that I'm not even really sure I knew I had, um, mm. but clearly made an impact. Wow. Well, I think for young people, it is totally okay to, I think it's actually a great gift, a wonderful way just to engage a young person in these traditions and in these rituals and in due time, you know, as you are able to reason and understand and hopefully appreciate to talk about why we do them. So the very fact that you were part of something and then later in your own life, you connect the dots and you probably wanted to. And I don't know, maybe I find it frustrating when when people complain, like, I had no idea why we did this. Well, part of that is on us, I think, to have a sense of curiosity. I know somebody who says that's the, the best quality you can have in a child is a sense of wonder, awe, and curiosity. And I think because it's a virtue, it can be cultivated. So, you know, we hope, I mean, I hope as a teacher, and I'm sure you feel this way, that we cultivate a sense of curiosity. Um, and how we would do that is another topic. But that you were part of something and then later in your life you're appreciating it and you know one easy way that came to mind um one of the traditions i had growing up was operation rice bowl and that's that simple you know cardboard box that's on your table um, or somewhere in your home and it's run by catholic relief services operation rice bowl um, well crs is the kind of relief and um, agency of the catholic church and i think it's 75 percent of their efforts go overseas so 25 percent is within the us so they literally give people meals they feed people in places of the world where there's extreme poverty and one of the things i appreciate about orb operation rice bowl now is that not only do they have the box but they have recipes and the recipe will be of a meatless meal a simple meal so i'd be curious i'm sure i'm certain there's a meal with lentils and it might be from Madagascar or Kuala Lumpur, and it'll profile a child and what he or she, you know, what is it like where they live and maybe what do their parents do? And then um, in this country, meat is not necessarily expensive, but in many parts of the world it is. And that's why we give it up during Lent because um, giving up meat, not only does it, you know, decrease our footprint, our carbon footprint, but it's, it's really associated with people with wealth. And so we align ourselves with the poor when we opt in for meatless meals like lentils or in my case, fish sticks, which I hated. Oh, but they <laughs> were so fishermen. good. <laughs> so terrible. They really are, but I loved them growing up and I have never given them to my kids because the thought of them just, bleh. but yeah, we ate those too. Yeah. But and I love I appreciate what you said, because you're right, you know, even with my own children, I feel like I'm just trying to give them a base and a foundation um, for some sort of faith that they can build on in their own way. Um, and so that's clearly what I had, you know, even if it might not be what I look back on and think, you know, I, I, I clearly look back on it differently as an adult, as we all would. Um, but certainly as a child, I, I did have that very interestingly strong kind of Catholic rooted, grounded foundation of what Lent is, um, even not being raised Catholic. So just priming me for my adult life. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, I think of, you know, when you, when we talk about traditions, I haven't, so I lived, you know, in South Louisiana, we talked about this with Mardi Gras, fish, fish fries, you know, fish Fridays were a big deal. And I think that's a great community tradition. Um, I think it's also popular in the Midwest. It really hasn't been one, but I do miss my parish. We always have a crab feed 
and in the Bay Area, especially in San Francisco Bay Area, crab feeds or in particular chipino is like a crab stew. That's just a great tradition. And you know, I'm not a big meat eater, but Haley, once I can't have it on a Friday, you you can't believe how often they've been like, oh man. And I I don't know, a small part of me is disappointed when my friends forego that practice. I just think it's um I think it's I don't know if it's a strong identity piece, but it's something that is just so ingrained in me as, you know, I am a cradle Catholic and it's just, it's part of this practice of this season of 40 days. So, well, and it's because it's not that hard, right? It's one day a week. Um, so, true. so but, you know, it's not like you're asking people to go somewhere or you're, it's just one. So it's one day a week. Um, you know, I'm sure that, I, I mean, maybe people do eat meat every single day. Um, you know, I'm probably not one of those people. Um, so it probably isn't as hard, but yeah, you're right. It doesn't seem like it should be a difficult thing for people to do because I think what they're choosing to is intentionally eat meat, right? They're actually making the conscious decision to do it. Um, but I, and I don't know, you may know this. I learned this recently within the past year or so. Um, did you know that McDonald's, um, created their filet of fish for Lent. No. Uh, yes, for for oh. Lent on um, Fridays and Lent. Yes, um, awesome. because they saw a dip in sales on Fridays yeah. during Lent. Yeah. And so they came right. up with their filet of fish, which, you know, that I will not be eating. I, yeah, same here. <laughs> but um, that's a fun fact. It's a very fun fact. And I, I guess I would just add, you know, I, I don't mean to sound judgy, but I, I guess my disappointment is that it is a mindfulness and it's an awareness. So I would just hope whether or not somebody's, I don't know if they're not practicing, then it's not part of their mindfulness. And, but I would just, you know, for those that do, I would hope that there's an awareness and we've all forgotten. So please don't take it that way. Like, Oh, I'm judging my friend who had spaghetti and meatballs, but you know, it couldn't be easier, especially in the Bay area to have non meat as an option. But I just think it's that sense of I'm part of something and you know, you are too. And we both understand that about each other when we're, you know, practicing a certain practice during this time of the year. So um, there are many ways to, right, just participate in spiritual discipline during Lent. Giving up meat is just one way. Um, my parish has soup and stations. So they have, you know, stations of the cross followed by soup um, in the parish hall. Again, not this year, but um, I do like that tradition. I think that's um, a great way to bring people together yeah prayer and well, fellowship which is which is so important and part of our faith and i know one of the things that everybody is really missing at this point is that community aspect right the fish fries are you know were created because you had to have you know not have meat on fridays and fish was an easy thing to do but really that was that's a community event it has very little to do with the fish um it was just probably a reason and excuse to come together as a community um so well, keep in mind and in our prayers, people who are missing those, um, you know, physical outreaches and type, times of community right now. What a great reminder. Yes. Um, so just an article that, I, that we'll post. Um, I thought this was really interesting when we're talking about traditions. Uh, David Brooks is one of my favorite writers. He writes quite often for the New York Times, kind of a sociologist, written a number of books. But when we're talking about traditions, um, he talks about places that really shape people and become part of their identity. And they are known as thick institutions. And this is its own topic in and of itself. But you know, I was 
when we talked about traditions, Haley, I was like, oh, I wonder what she's going to mention about Notre Dame, because people mentioned like Notre Dame is known for having so many traditions, and that's part of what makes it special. And I certainly believe that our alma mater qualifies as a thick institution. So um, this is a place that engages head, heart, hands, right? And it's something that you may have spent time there, and it really affects your outlook on your, yourself. And it, you are connected to those people that you've shared the thick institution with in a way that's unlike others. So I'll let folks read the article, but you know, one of the criteria is it has rituals, collective rituals. It has shared tasks. It has like an origin story, like a way of like understanding where this place came from. And then it also has um, kind of something idiosyncratic about it. And I think that that's one of the pieces that speaks to me. I mean, don't get me wrong. If you said I have, you know, four seasons, I have a hotel room for you at the four seasons of the Ritz for four days, I would, I would never not take it. But these idiosyncratic, these thick institutions usually aren't perfect. There's something about them that might challenge you and, and they actually connect people. So I think traditions at their best, you know, we're talking about community here. We're talking about identity when we're thinking of ourselves as Catholic. Um, traditions are certainly um, part of that and places can cultivate and pass on those traditions, which are, they really connect people and build relationships. So enhance relationships, I should say. So we'll definitely post that, that article and I need to read it as well. I'm curious as to um, where he came up with the term thick, you know, why he chose that particular word um, as part of this article. But um, yeah, it sounds pretty fascinating. And for sure, I'm sure we can all think of organizations that that have left that imprint on us. Um, yeah, certainly Notre Dame for both of us, for sure. Yeah. So enjoy that. I will. I will. So moving on to our spiritual stew, um, I was looking at different um, readings for the week. And of course, I'm in my year of the saints this year where I'm trying to learn more about the saints. And I learned that February 22nd this week is the feast of the chair of St. Peter at Antioch. And I thought that was interesting. It's not the feast of St. Peter. Um, St. Peter doesn't have a feast day. It's St. Peter and Paul. Um, there's a couple of feast days, the chair of St. Peter. Um, so I learned more about this, uh, you know, I or I read more because I wanted to learn more about it. There's actually five days of the year that we honor Peter, um, two for the chair, two with St. Paul, um, the main one being in June. And then um, the fifth one is is August 1st, which is the feast of St. Peter in chains, um, recognizing, honoring and celebrating um, the time when he was in prison being persecuted by King Herod and um, the angel comes down and, and breaks free, him free of his chains, um, which I thought was interesting as well. So I've really enjoyed um, learning about the saints. So, you know, we hear, you know, we'll hear in the readings this week um, on February 22nd on the feast day of St. Peter or the chair of St. Peter, um, the words, you know, from Matthew that Jesus says, you are Peter and upon this rock, I will build my church. Uh, the gates of the netherworld shall not prevail against it. Um, you know, we hear those words so often, you know, upon this rock, I will build my church. This is, that's the beginning of our faith. That's the beginning of the Catholic church. That's where it all started. Um, you know, they seem like very simple words and we hear them often. Um, again, upon this rock, I will build my church. But wow, I mean, that's that's it. That's, that's our faith and the beginning of our church right there. And recognizing and honoring and having this feast day for the chair of St. Peter, um, 
really gives us this image of, um, you know, this this chair and this this lineage that's been passed down um, through the popes throughout the years that is unbroken. And that's pretty powerful. Um, it's pretty neat when you think about it. So um, kind of neat to have that be this week um, in those readings in terms of the gospel celebrating truly the words that founded our church. Well, I, I think that's such a great image, Haley, to to sit with. No pun intended. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I thought that was, that's good. Um, because one of my, you know, in the Old Testament and in the song, you know, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, you hear a number of names for the Lord. And one of them is O Seat of Wisdom. So to think of this chair, you know, it is, it just conjures up this image of like, you know, oftentimes a wise person is an elderly person and they sit, right? And even just, you know, in the Greeks, they have the oracle at Delphi. And it's a person that you visit who's sitting in this chair. So it's an irony that Peter, Cephas, who becomes Peter, is this wise person. Because what we know about him from scripture is that he's rather impetuous and uh, a very, you know, you might not think of him as a wise person, but he is, yes, the first pope. And um, they call it the Petrine office as a result of his legacy. So um, he is someone, maybe, you know, when I'm thinking of our leaders this week um, at schools in our communities, I'll pray to St. Peter for them. So thank you for reminding us to continue to pray with the saints. Well, and, you know, so for me on a, on a side note, it was also really interesting. I love when biblical references make their way into pop culture. Um, so when I read the passage from Matthew, you know, you are Peter upon this rock, I will build my church the gates of the netherworld shall not prevail against it. You know, that's the netherworld is used um, at times. You don't hear it very often. Um, you know, there's other translations where the word hell is used. Um, that's probably a, a more mainstream word. Um, but for, for those of us who spend time with kids, um, whether they're your own or in the classroom or nephews and nieces, um, there is a wildly popular um, video game, uh, Minecraft, that has really kind of exploded um, in a, in a mainstream way. And they have a place called the nether and the nether is, um, the underworld. It is filled with lava. It is filled with dark creatures. Um, in, in my son's word, it's basically Minecraft's version of hell. Um, uh, but I thought that was really fascinating, um, because you hear a lot of kids talking about, you know, as they're playing their video games, you know, the nether and the nether, and let's try to get out of the nether and we have to build something to, you know, escape the nether. And, you know, I don't even think they realize that they are referring to um, really a, a very biblical, serious um, place. You know, it, it is hell, but um, the nether has made its way into pop culture. And um, I always kind of think that's neat. I, I think that's remarkable. I think anytime we can connect the dots and, you know, that's part, a big part of being an Ignatian educator is really going to where you're, there's, there's kind of this paradigm um, that they use in, as a Jesuit educator. And it's really for any educator that you go to their space and you speak their language in order to relate to them. So uh, that is a wonderful tool and um, just connection, Haley. And the only thing I would say, um, it doesn't have to be necessarily teenagers. A lot of MLB, major league baseball players play a Minecraft. And I know that because <laughs> I am not a video game fan, but I am obviously a sports fan. So Shohei Otani, you know, he's from Japan and he's this pitcher and he's a hitter. And apparently he's like outstanding at some video game. And it really 
his love of this video game connected him to his teammates. So I always find whatever the mechanism is by which you can relate and connect to others, um, go there. And so maybe when I'm, I'm I will be teaching about you know, because I teach ethics. So we do talk about hell. And uh, that is a very strong word. So maybe I'll speak to the netherworld instead. Yeah, well, and I love the fact that Minecraft didn't call it hell, right? You know, they called yeah, it the nether right. and they didn't even use the netherworld. So they, right. they, they <laughs> you know, I would, how great would it be to have been a part of that conversation with whoever was designing this game, you know, however many years ago, what are we gonna call this place? Let's call it the nether. You know, how did that come up? Be kind of fascinating to know. Absolutely. Um, well, for my part of the spiritual stew, I speak about Matthew Kelly pretty regularly, part of Dynamic Catholic. I love his series, Best Let Ever. He has a quick you know, morning reflection. And his reflection that resonated with me this week was about the reality of temptation. So Jesus goes into the desert for 40 days to prepare himself for his ministry. And he's in solitude, he's in prayer. And we know from scripture that he was tempted. So even the Lord was tempted and there's that dialogue with the devil. Um, and Matthew Kelly gives a piece of advice. He says, uh, when you are tempted, do not dialogue and like stop right there. And then he's like, because you will not win. And I thought that that's very wise. There are some people that are very strong. They have you know fortitude and um, they're resilient, but the majority of, I'll speak for myself. It, I think he's right. It, the devil has power in that sense of you lean in just a, just give me a little bit, just start talking a little bit. And then it's just, it becomes more. And I think that's part of why, you know, I do do something during Lent, but I also give something up. And for me, I give up sweets and that is, I only did it because one of my colleagues, teacher and coach, she did it. And she talked about how hard it was. And I was ready for the challenge because that's kind of my Achilles heel. And I, feel that temptation. I literally like feel my body like wants the sugar. And, um, the other night I have this like pound of frozen cookie dough and it's wrapped in this cling wrap. And I looked at it and I just wanted a little taste. And there the dialogue began. And I literally leaned in and I closed the door and then I went back and then I saw how the cling wrap was like clutching the dough and how hard it would be to open it. And by God, wouldn't you know, I lost, I lost the battle. I took a bite of frozen cookie dough. It's so pathetic, <laughs> but I offer that because that is a metaphor. I mean, that is really what temptation is like, and we can see that in ourselves. And so, you know, it might start with cookie dough, but it, it whatever we are tempted by, and we are all tempted. And I, I think if we don't recognize that, um, then we are, it's a disservice to ourselves. So I will probably stay with that image of cookie dough when I face a temptation, um, whatever that may be. It, it can be something as simple as like not telling the truth about my score in golf, which, you know, that's dumb because it's like the only person affects is me, so to speak. But it, it starts there and it, it gets so, it's a continuum. And I, I think young people understand that they just need to be reminded of it. And I need the reminder too. Well, and I think what you say, you know, circles back to to what you had mentioned before, you know, when we were talking about giving something up and, you know, and 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 what we sh model for our children. So, yes, you know, maybe I just gave something up as a child and didn't know the reason behind it, but it's still a reminder that we are doing something 
because of our faith and we are doing something because we are trying to be closer to God. Um, and the greatest thing about our faith is, you know, redemption, forgiveness. Um, so, you know, you've been forgiven for that bite of cookie dough <laughs> that you've had. And um, we tend to not forgive ourselves, you know, very easily, but we forgive others a lot faster than we can forgive ourselves. Um, I too gave up desserts, um, sweets, I guess is a better answer. That's a tough one for me. I love my sugar. Um, and I accidentally took a handful of um, chocolate chips and popped them in my mouth. And as soon as I put them in my mouth, I thought, oh, I shouldn't have done that. And I thought, and then I thought, well, I could spit them out. And I thought, no, I've already eaten them. And then I thought, well, now that I've already had a handful, I might as well just go back for more. Um, but I didn't. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I didn't. Okay. No, I didn't. Okay. Yeah, because and then I thought, well, it's Saturday. That's kind of close to Sunday. Maybe that's. The, I mean, you know, we. I could rationalize away anything, um, but really, what it does is it creates an awareness that we are Catholic and we have given something up and we are doing it to honor, you know. God and Jesus and his sacrifices for us. And, you know, any awareness that can create that, I think is a good thing. Yeah. And I, I, I guess I left this out. The idea that Matthew Kelly brings up too, is that when we engage with temptation, we're talking to the devil, we're not talking to God. So if this helps as an image, our back is turned toward God. And he's like, ultimately, that's not the best version of ourselves. So we're distracted. So I think his advice is right. Like, don't even engage in the dialogue. Don't even turn the back, you know? I mean, some would say you have to acknowledge the temptation. I mean, that's just imprudent. But when we when we turn our back on God, we are turning from the best version of ourselves. That's a big part of his teaching, his theology, that God wants us to be the best version of ourselves. So the temptations that I face, like, that prevent me from being the best version of myself are going to be different than yours. And they're going to be different than somebody else's, but we all have our temptations. And we, I, I do think we have to acknowledge that. Um, and yeah, pay attention to the interplay and where do you rely on God in any of that? So, so next time you open the door to your freezer, you can use the image that you are opening the, opening the door to the nether. <laughs> uh, I will think of that as I'm opening my pantry. Anything that in there is in there that I shouldn't be eating, um, you know, yeah. is, is coming from the netherworld. Um, yes. And we are yeah. all tempted and we will all fail and we will all sin and we will yeah. all wake up the next day and carry on. Yes. By the, here by the grace of God, correct? Yes. So, yes. Yeah. So this week I'm going to, um, I'm actually going to learn a little bit more about Minecraft. Um, I'm going to try the Minecraft nether. I'm going to figure out where that's coming from. Um, I, I, I'm going to really think about and pray for our church, you know, as we celebrate the feast of um, the chair of St. Peter and the founding of our church. I think there's, um, you know, a lot of healing that needs to be done in in our church, um, you know, people, the leadership of our church, all of us, um, you know, sinners in the church as well, I'll be praying for them. Uh, and I love the idea of, you know, honoring the, the vaccine workers and people who are from top to bottom on the ground and those creating the infrastructure and putting those plans in place. It's a great reminder for us to, to really think about the work that they're doing um, and the service that they're giving to others, you know, in the cold, in the, in the rough weather, um, putting right. their lives at risk, you know, really every day um, to, to pray for and honor them as well. Yeah. And I'm going to pray uh, specifically with St. Peter in mind as I pray for leaders, specifically the leaders at the, at, in the school where I work or any, you know, leader that we encounter 
um, obviously for our country, our local governments, um, San Francisco is, it's just the city's struggling. So, you know, I, instead of the complaining, I think it's really a, a time for prayer. And I was thinking I would like to offer a message of hope. Um, it is very easy to talk about the inefficiency of the vaccine rollout and to complain and to relay stories of the brokenness. Um, but I don't think that that serves people. It, it takes actually, I think, a little bit of courage to spread messages of optimism right now, but we really need it. And um, I just, even, you know, any sort of message of hope or optimism, like for example, you know, housing costs in the Bay Area are really expensive. And I told this positive story about a house to one of my dearest friends and she's like, oh, I didn't think your story was gonna end that way. And I said, you know, like this this couple I work with, they're both teachers, They they, the family accepted their offer because they're teachers. And it was such a great story, you know, and it's like, you don't hear those very often. And that is a great story. You, know, you don't hear them very often because they're not, they're not happening that often, but when they are, we have to share them. We do. And so it, I will try to um, have the courage to share, you know, messages of hope where appropriate and just listen when people are struggling. Cause that's real too. Yeah, for sure. And there is a lot of struggle in many different ways right now. Um, and they all need our prayers. So lots of praying this week. Um, next week, we will um, continue to talk about Lent. Um, we're going to move through the over the next three weeks, the three different um, aspects of Lent and what we're asked to do in terms of prayer, fasting and almsgiving. Um, we'll dive deeper into those. Um, but we'll just continue this week, um, hopefully avoiding our sweets, our netherworld of the pantry and the freezer and not being tempted. Um, I love the idea of that when you're tempted, you know, what you shared, you're turning your best, you know, you're turning your back on God and you're not showing your best self. Um, so that's a great image to keep in mind as well. Um, but as always, Anne, it's been fun and uh, I look forward to our conversation next week. Likewise. Thanks, Haley. <laughs>